As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. Joined by Manny Navarro. Manny covers the University of Miami for us, as well as our Florida man on the recruiting scene. And uh, Manny's been to a bunch of camps lately and talked to some of the industry's top analysts. So we're going to take a deep dive into the evaluation process, uh, both at camps and how the uh, recruiting services do it. Should be an interesting conversation. Also joined by Grace Rayner, who covers recruiting for us on a national scene. And I could sit here and tease something that Grace is working on, but the most important thing in Grace Rayner's life is. She finally saw Taylor Swift in concert on Saturday night. Grace, life-changing? Yes, literally life-changing. The best. Okay, the best. Okay, so it was worth it. Yes, I mean, it was, I taught, like, this is a sports podcast, obviously. Uh, The athletic feat for this woman to go three hours and 13 minutes with all of these different uh, costume changes and just go, 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 go with no break whatsoever. And she's dancing and moving all over the stage. It was like the most iconic thing I've ever seen in my life. Good. Manny, I trust you've never seen Taylor Swift in concert. I've never seen Taylor Swift, no. But uh, I know that my daughters are fans, and I'm sure they would have loved to be there with Grace to uh, enjoy that concert. Oh. Three, hours and, three hours and 13 minutes is a long time. Uh, I, I wonder if anybody, like, is, is Ari, what is Ari doing for three hours and 13 minutes right now? Probably making bets. Yeah, not moving. And so everyone out there, if, if you did, I did not say we are also joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari Wasserman is not with us this week. He's on the beaches of Turks and Caicos on vacation. Didn't prevent him from FaceTiming me two times yesterday uh, while on vacation. So Ari can't, you know, he can't get enough <laughs> of us. Um, so I'm sure Ari's having a great time. And we can say whatever we want because we know Ari will not listen to this podcast. Uh, he'll just move on. So um, Ari takes up a lot of oxygen on the podcast. He's a high, if he's a basketball player, high usage. Grace, we talked about your basketball career. You're getting the ball today. You got to do something with it. If you get to the oh, foul God. line, you got to hit your free throws. So we're um, going to just call her James Harden tonight. That's what yeah, we're gonna do. yeah. Hey, huge <laughs> shot last night. I became a uh, my anti Celtics. I became a, a James Harden fan last night. Big shot for James there. But uh, good show today. Uh, you know, if we've got time after Grace does the the minute by minute, blow by blow account of Taylor Swift, we are going to bounce around the national recruiting scene. We're going to take a look at a program that has seemingly taken a few steps back. On the recruiting trail last few years, it's a program that Grace knows a little, little bit about. Uh, we're going to review the NFL, the recent NFL draft, kind of look, take a look at where those first round picks came from as recruits. Um, and this should be fun. We're going to, I kind of put, uh, brought this up to you guys the other day. Think about, we're going to talk about some of the crazier recruiting stories we have come across on the beat. I know you guys have been uh, covered a beat longer than I have. I did back in my earlier years, uh, but just, you know, recruiting's gotten crazier now, but there's always some good stories about commitment. So we're going to get into all that. But uh, first, I want to talk about a story that Ari actually did earlier in this week, published on Tuesday. It's part of our recruiting series, um, recruiting Q&As with Brian Stumpf of the Elite 11. I forgot his title. It basically runs the Elite 11. Just very interesting look, and it's a, it's something that, like, before I started getting uh, more involved with recruiting at the Athletic, I knew what the Elite 11 was, but didn't really pay that much attention to it. It's really a, a fascinating process, um, and Brian goes in there in, in, in how much 
their care factor, their care level of getting it right, evaluating these kids. They get they get so many submissions, and they don't just go by the star rankings and just say, okay, here's the top 10 quarterbacks, top 20, we're going to pick those guys. And and Manny, I, I want you to speak on this, but it kind of shows, you know, you were at the camp, and and, and there was, uh, was it Tevin Jackson, the, the kid who was a three-star, and they chose him over some more highly ranked guys with who are already committed to, to top-level Power 5 schools. So I know both of you guys have been in Elite 11 camps, and, and Manny, I, you, you've done a lot talking to Andrew Ivins from 247 about the evaluation process. So uh, just, Manny, real quick, well, not real quick, but that takes as much time as you want. You, your thoughts on, on what Brian had to say and then kind of what you've seen at that camp. Well, I mean, I went to the one in Orlando um, last month, and I was there all day, and it was pretty hot from what I, <laughs> what I remember. I, I That's remember. all I hear from you guys who go out to these camps is how hot it is everywhere. <laughs> suck it up, people. Yeah, we, we, we do have to suck it up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to, to Brian at the event. I kind of watched him and his guys do their thing. And, um, you know, just to give people a rough idea of how it works, I mean, these kids show up, they go through – you know, stretching, they do some of these drills, get tested. And then it turns into like three hours of quarterback drills and they go from station to station. Roughly how many kids are at each camp? I would say, I would say somewhere between hundred to 150 kids probably. And this is one of about eight regional camps. One of eight regional camps total. Yeah. And, um, and so during those three hours, they'll go through different kind of uh, drills. You know, some of it will be throwing, you know, shots into the corner of the end zone. Some of it will be, you know, slant patterns and throwing, you know, throwing quick balls on slants. Some of it will be, you know, faking a handoff, doing an RPO type drill. And the whole time, everything's being recorded. Um, Each of these coaches, get to spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes uh, watching these guys go through drills. And then at the very end, you know, Brian and his group of coaches, I'd say about eight to 10 guys, they get together and they just start to share notes over everything that they saw. And if they feel really good about a, a player, they'll invite them. They'll give them, you know, they'll, they'll name them a finalist right then and there, one of the 20 coveted spots. So um, I was sort of fascinated by the whole process because I don't know that you can really get to know even even through three hours and thirteen minutes, as Grace said earlier, I don't know if you can really get to know how good a quarterback is, but this is as good as an evaluation as you'll get, right? Because other than watching game film, other than talking to high school coaches and maybe rival coaches, um, laying eyes on somebody for that long and watching them go through every drill is probably the best you can get. And even still, they don't get that right, right? I mean, how many elite eleven finalists have gone on to become quote unquote busts over the years? So. Um, I, I was just sort of fascinated. I think it's a really difficult process to to, to make a, that kind of determination, which is why I think a lot of times they don't name all the finalists at these events, right? Like they, they may just tell a, a group of kids like they did in Texas, hey, we're not naming a finalist yet. We'll get back to you guys after we review the film and, and do some more evaluation. So just a fascinating process. I, I enjoyed it. Grace, didn't you go to one in Atlanta or was that not an Elite 11? I went last year in where did I go, Mitch? DC. Yes. Um, I think and it that's wasn't where a I... star-studded. Like I, I remember looking at the list, and at the time, it didn't seem like it was some of the top guys. Yeah, at the time, there was not a ton of big twenty-three guys. Now, in hindsight, like Dante Reno from South Carolina was there. Michael Van Buren, who um, I think we talked a little bit about last week, he was there. So there were some twenty-four guys. Um, but yeah, the whole thing is so fascinating, and just to see these these guys process what they're seeing so quickly in real time uh, when none of these quarterbacks are live, by the way, I I think is really interesting Um, on top of the fact that they're pouring over. What did it say? What did already have a thousand, 2000 kids just sending in their huddle film? I mean, we've seen this huddle film. It's really, it's, it's just so tedious to sit there and watch that. So I have a ton of respect for what these guys do. Yeah, I guess the the thing that you know the, these guys at these camps they can see what they, their raw ability looks like, can they how they throw the ball. What they're not seeing is how do they process a defense and totally. And you know, I'm not a coach, obviously. You know, high school uh, when college coaches watch film, I, I man, you, you're much more familiar with like kind of like the, the scouting end and, and going to high school games. Like, I don't even know how much high school college coaches when they watch the kids in high school learn because I don't know how sophisticated some of these defenses are. And how talented they are, uh, you know, how much talent there is, you know, if they're going against a, a cornerback who their a team has no cornerbacks or no defensive backs or even getting FCFs offers, like how, how can you tell how good a quarterback is? So um, I'd love to sit there and talk, get, get a coach on here one day and interview him, like how, how valuable is, is, is live action in high school? Because I think it just matters so much about the type of defense they're facing, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I think 
so many of these coaches, when, when you have these unofficial visits, right, in the springtime and, and guys are just kind of making the rounds, when they get a chance to get on a whiteboard with these guys and kind of go over the basics, right, They can. They, I think they get a pretty good gauge for how smart these kids are, how they process offenses and defenses and the whole thing. And I think that's really where a lot of these coaches ultimately fall in love with the quarterback and decide, hey, we really want him. You know, this is the guy we really want to run our system. So, um, you know, having talked to quarterback coaches over the years, uh, I got to know Frank Ponce really well. He was with Miami. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Appalachian State. Uh, he's pretty much told me, you know, he <laughs> he won't really offer a kid a scholarship till he has him in his room, until he's able to kind of get him on the whiteboard. That, that That's really what matters most to him. Uh, physical traits obviously matter, size, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I think for these college coaches, it's how do these guys process everything that they're seeing on the field? You, you know, saying that, guys, it just it's amazing that these coaches, these they had to do it but during COVID, how they were able to offer kids – um, when they couldn't get him on campus, maybe we know what now why Herm Edwards broke the rules to get kids on campus <laughs> to, to get him in that room there. But, uh, you know, it, it probably it would made it more difficult in every position, but a quarterback position, you know, so many kids have transferred the quarterback position. So we can't just say it's because of poor evaluations. But I'm guessing from that class of 20 or 21, probably the next year, we'll see end up maybe being the highest percentage of quarterbacks transferred just because of bad fits and and kids either. Go, signing schools like too high or too low where they should have been. So, um, yeah, all this stuff's fascinating. And, and kind of tangential to that, Manny, you, I know you've, for a couple stories lately, you've talked to Andrew Ivins, who uh, is in charge of the, the the rankings at 247. I already had a lot of respect for that industry, but just some reading some of the stuff that you've written, it just tells you what those guys go through and how important they take their job. You know, I don't think they take themselves very seriously. They take what they do seriously. Uh, what have you learned about the rankings process in the past? You know, I know you've talked to these guys in the past, but specifically in the past cu- couple of times you've talked to Andrew. Yeah, I feel like I'm really learning a lot from just talking to these guys, you know, within the last year, because as much as I've been around college football and recruiting for the last 25 years uh, in my career, like I've never really studied recruiting and, and the whole process to this extent until maybe, you know, I started working with you guys a lot more on this stuff. So, uh, you know, Andrew definitely takes it seriously. They care about, you know, which five stars, uh, how they give out the five-star rankings. Um, I think the fascinating thing for me from talking to Andrew this past week is, you know, I've sort of studied the numbers, right? How many kids are actually evaluated? Um, Right now, there's only 1,300 kids right now who have been that are in the 247 sports composite uh i've written this in a couple of my stories for the athletic but i mean that number is closer to 2300 by the time it's over and done with and andrew kind of pointed out to me like just how important it is for him and a lot of these guys to get to the elite 11 finals and nla so they can see these quarterbacks in person um you know going to uh, the under armor combines where all that data is collected right The, the the height the weight um, the speed, all of that stuff matters. And and really, that's b- before they rank a guy, it's almost as if they need to, to make sure they have all of that hard data. Like they will not rank somebody unless they have a legitimate, you know, 40 time, a legitimate, uh, you know, height, weight, time, uh, height and weight and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think to me, we all sit here and are like, man, why do these guys miss on recruits? This guy's overrated. This guy's underrated. Um I think I think we have to almost understand how difficult a job it is like to, to just analyze the whole country. How do you how do you rate one guy over the other unless you get a chance to lay eyes on him? And Andrew pointed out to me, you know, Lincoln Kineholtz is sort of the perfect example of a, of a kid who made a huge jump in the rankings uh, out of South Dakota, ends up signing obviously with Ohio State at, at quarterback. But he was a guy who was in the 800s, and you know he kind of climbed up inside the 200 only after they were able to see him in person at the All-American Bowl. So, like, the evaluation process, we sit here now and we criticize teams. It's May May 2nd as we're recording this. We, you know, we'll say, hey, man, you know, Texas and USC, they're not doing that great a job. Or Miami's not. Or, or Ari will compare, you know, Miami's three-star run to his friend in fifth grade. <laughs> right. He got his pants pulled down at the roller <laughs> Right. Stuff like that will be said, right? But the, But the reality is, like, the actual process of evaluating isn't finalized till February and guys are signing in December. And yet, you know, you're still playing all-star games in January and guys are really not getting a feel for how good this player is until then. And, and so um, I, I guess to make a long story short, I've been talking forever here. I feel like I'm, I'm taking Ari's role today. Um, <laughs> we need it. <laughs> we, need, we need someone to eat some middle innings. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm getting ready to bounce the ball to Grace here and say, all right, put up 30 shots. Yeah. Um, I, I just think overall, like, I think we need to just 
realize what a difficult process it is. And the rankings early on, like in, in these summer months, are basically meaningless because, you know, you, you look at the, the top 20 teams right now, Mitch. I just took a look at this a, a few minutes ago. 18 of the top 20 teams in the rankings are SEC, um, Big Ten, and ACC schools. Well, go look at the map uh, and, and, and do this by states. It's like Texas, California, all this mid, you know, out, out west – um, hardly any commitments. Like every, it's, it's almost like geographically, there's certain areas where kids commit earlier than others. And I think part of it is because the evaluation process, some states just don't have that, that process done yet. Yeah, I'd love, and Ari mentioned this, we've talked about this in the past, I would love to do a study of specifically the quarterback position of the late risers. Uh, CJ Stroud is kind of the, the poster child. Now he didn't go from the Lincoln Kineholds 800 range to top 200 he went from i think the 300s maybe 400s in ohio state and it's a lot of that was mentioned in the uh the story the q a with brian stump um but yeah i mean the, the whole thing like you said it's just so early there's gonna be so much movement grace uh, if you looked at the three star the follow-up the three-star story we did about releasing the data because because clemson's known uh, you know won two national championships we talk about their elite quarterback play but they're really you know they they, they got good on the the backs of some great evaluations and I think the numbers, I'm pulling them up here um, for the three-star, um, you know, for the, 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 in the study I'm referring to, if, if people haven't uh, read it yet, it's, it's we, we studied from 2009 through 2019, every Power 5 school's commitments, three stars, three stars, four stars, five stars, and then the correlating drafts from 2012 to 22, what percentage of their, their draft picks were, were um were, of their signings were drafted in Clemson, not surprisingly fared very well across the board. In fact, I should have looked this up that they, they were in three stars. They were 11th, four stars. They were ninth, five stars. They were second overall draft rate. They were six. I think they were probably, they might've been the only program, maybe Alabama too, in the top 12 uh, for all four categories. So Grace, I, I'm guessing that from what you saw covering them, that this data doesn't really surprise you. Yeah. I think they've always been really elite at, They get their five stars, uh, especially at the quarterback position, but then their evaluation process is so good. Um, I mean, and maybe this was an instance where he was maybe not properly ranked, but I still go back to Isaiah Simmons being a three star out of, out of Kansas and, and some programs wanting him to play wide receiver and, and them just being able to see sort of that vision and that future. Um, And I'm curious to see if that continues at Oklahoma, because I think Brent Venables was was really good at that defensively. Like Kayvon Wallace was a guy who wasn't, wasn't super highly rated. You could go down the list. Um, so I don't know. And that's the thing. You can never ask these coaches, right? Like what's your secret to evaluation? Cause they're never going to tell you. Um, but it's so fascinating to see how some schools just seem to have a, a knack for it. Yeah. And some coaches, more coach, some coaches are married to the rankings a little bit more than they should be. You know, yeah, it matters sure. to them and some don't like when you're Kirby smart, you don't care, you know, does he care that some fans are flipping out on the message board when he gets a three-star who right now might be ranked 700? Of course he doesn't. Um, you know, his track record, it's proven he's, he's a great evaluator. So uh, I just find the whole thing, you know, because um, we'll sit here and, you know, we're, we all, we're all guilty of it, but we'll, we'll sit here and, and be like, man, I can't believe school A took a kid who's ranked 700. Well, obviously they like him. Maybe he hasn't been evaluated properly. Um, and, you know, I know fans of other schools complain, the Bama bump or something like that. Well, if Nick Saban's offer takes a kid – I don't blame the recruiting analysts to take another look at the kid, you know, right. what, what they might've missed. And I think Stump says this too, you know, they might've seen him on a bad day. He might have had a baseball game the night before two hours away, comes home where another kid's been prepping for a week. So there's just so much that goes into this. And that's why, um, that's why coaches, man, you know, this talk is that they want as much evaluation as possible. They want to get on the road and they want kids yeah. to in, in as much as possible. Yeah. And, and, and having these conversations with Mario Cristobal in the past about what they look for in, in, in their process. I mean, they, they, they don't stop evaluating a guy until the very end. Like they're, they're watching every, every action through November and December of their senior season um, to make sure that, you know, this guy's legit in, in, in the sense of not, not can he play, but how legit is he committed to, you know, his, his career and, and, and those kind of things. And so you'll see coaches drop guys in the middle of their senior year, right? We'll be like, oh, this guy decommitted. Well, n- I think nine times out of 10, it's the college dropping them from their class because they didn't like what they saw from them as a senior. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's another aspect to this all too. That's sort of fascinating, right? When, when we see kids drop from that, that may be an Alabama or a Georgia commitment, um, you know, early on in the process. And then all of a sudden they, they drop and they drop down the rankings. Well, there's a reason for it. 
Yeah, and I think there's so much more too when you can go see a kid. You can see how he interacts with his teammates. How mm-hmm. does he interact with his parents at a game? I mean, coaches that all that stuff matters to kid. You know, it might sound corny, but it, it matters. So, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Um, okay, so we had the NFL draft, obviously, this past weekend. Um a lot, a lot of discussion, a lot of oxygen spent on, you know, stars, five stars, you know, three stars, who's picking all that. From the first round only, um, I just did a quick tally, 30, 31 first-round picks, 10 five-stars, 10 four-stars, nine three-stars, two unranked. So I don't, you know, I haven't done – I'm sure obviously the information's out there. It's easy to find. But uh, pretty uh, – I think that's – I think sell some stats. It was the, the best hit rate for five-stars maybe – ever um you know bryce young first pick five star cj stroud four star will anderson five star anthony richardson four star then devin witherspoon unrated but uh you know you look at the top draft number six overall paris johnson was a five star number eight Bijan robinson was a five star number 10 darnell Wright, five star so it just that's why you know name of the podcast stars matter but many any any takeaways from the draft do you do are you a draft guy do you sit there and watch it for three straight days I watched the first night pretty pretty closely because for that reason because I had talked to Andrew and I, I was c- sort of counting the five stars up as they went. I think seven of the first ten were five star guys, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from when I was looking at it during the, during the draft. But um, you know, for them, it's a sense of pride, right? When they when they when they actually get it right. Um, look, it, it, I just what I took away ultimately is the best players. I mean. Th- you, you look at it every year, it's like the same schools, man, are producing the first round picks and, and they're just they're just good at it. Like the Alabamas and Georgias of the world, the Ohio States of the world. It's the same story every single year. They're good at their evaluation. Clemson is good at their evaluations. They know what they're doing. Um, and and kudos to them. And and I just think for, for, for any of that to change in college football, you, you've got to be really good at developing three stars. If you're a Wake Forest or uh, North Carolina or some team that just doesn't load up on five stars every single year, you better be really good at, four, at, at developing four and three stars or you've got no chance. Yep, great. So two Clemson guys in the first round that you covered um, in, in Miles Murphy and Brian Brissy at uh, the back end, 28-29, both five-star defensive linemen. That's a position obviously Clemson has recruited very well. Um, did you? I assume you covered both those recruitments or you were on the beat when they committed? Yes, I was on the beat when both of them committed. Um, I spent some time with Miles right before he signed. Super smart kid. Just um, it, It's interesting to see him now as a first-round draft pick because his high school coach was talking about how he really didn't like contact as a, as a high school player, which I always find to be kind of funny. Interesting for a football player, yeah. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he just – we had to teach him, like, you know, you got to enjoy hitting people and, and, and getting it back. Um, but, yeah, I figured that they would they would probably go – First round, I, I I think Brzee, I think his Dabo said this, I agree with this. I, I think his best football is is still ahead of him. Um, just a, a really, really, really great athlete. So I was not surprised there. Yeah. And uh it worked out perfectly for you. You could watch the entire draft and transition right to Taylor Swift. Nice for Taylor Swift to have the draft. Her <laughs> concert started at six o'clock, I believe, Eastern, right after the draft ended. So <laughs> So considerate, right? I wonder if she's watched the draft at all. My guess is is no. Now you should know that she she's from Pennsylvania, but moved to Nashville when yes. she was in high school. Is that correct? Yep. She was a teenager. I can't remember how old she was, but yes, she's from Pennsylvania, especially. Actually, I was thinking about Ari during this concert because she said people were betting on, um, she has two rotating songs that she plays every night that are, are different surprise songs that she said people have been placing bets on them. And she was like, yeah, there's like 12 people. And I was like, I bet Ari Wasserman is one of those 12. 
would yeah <laughs> would not be surprised at all. So um, one thing we talk a lot about here with the rankings is, especially this time of year, is the rankings. It's you can't put too much stock in it because the amount of overall commits plays you know such a big influence on, on where teams are ranked. So it's average player ranking. Manny's done a ton of research for us. He's got so many spreadsheets, and one of them was with average player rating. So I just want to go down right now the top ten. Uh, schools in the rankings from average player rating. No surprise, Alabama's number one at 9542. Number two, I think we talked about this last week, Florida, 9459. Very impressive early start. Then Georgia, Ohio State, South Carolina, number five. It's not just quantity there, it's quality. Uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Auburn, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. And Auburn's one that we, you know, Ari and I have been doing this podcast for a year and a half, and Ari had a mailbag question about Hugh Freeze the other day. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Auburn more in recruiting going forward. It feels like they're back to being relevant now. Um, obviously, they got the quarterback from from Little Rock, Walker White, there. So um, I, you know, you can we can say what you want about Hugh Freeze as the hire, all that stuff, but he's a guy that clearly knows what he's doing in the recruiting front. Signed all those five stars at Ole Miss there. So um, yeah, Manny, how big of a I know they had a Florida commitment uh, quarterback who decommitted, but how, how big of a presence typically is Auburn in South Florida? I know Alabama's obviously a huge, huge presence. Are, are they when they're rolling? Are they do you, do you hear a lot of Auburn? Yeah, I mean, in the past they've certainly had some success, especially in the Fort Lauderdale, you know, Barrett County area. Um, you know, I always remember Auburn coming in and pulling some kids from Chaminade. Um, you know, they they have success in South Florida. They have a presence. Um, looking at some of the numbers from our from our pipeline story, I think. Uh, Auburn had three signees from Florida last year. I'm going to look at what the total number was for the state um, for the previous six cycles, but uh, 22 um, signees from the previous six cycles combined. Uh, Georgia and Alabama were one and two. Florida was third. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're they always pulling kids uh, from down here. Sean Shivers was a running back from Chaminade. Right. I remember they got him a couple years ago. Um, I'm not sure if Shivers was drafted or what, what, what his deal was. If he, if he ever I don't remember seeing it, but it could have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they just do a good job, um, you know, coming into the state and, and pulling guys out of the state. Yeah. And people, if you don't know the geography of Alabama, Auburn's basically in Georgia. It's right across from Columbus, Georgia. It's, I think, only two hours from Atlanta. So it's it's pretty advantageous geographically. It's near the Panhandle, uh, Florida, not far, you know, five hours from Nashville, two hours from Atlanta. Um, some other notables, Grace Clemson's 16th in average player rating, 89.85. That's probably... Clemson fans a little nervous right now. Colorado, with only four commits, is 88.23. It's 23rd in average player rating. North Carolina, we're going to talk about them in a little bit more. They've got 12 commits. They're only at 87.26. And this one caught my eye. UCF and Cincinnati are both in the top 30. Um, and, Grace, I know the, there's Quay Birdsong, I believe his name is. If he ends up signing, would, would be the highest rated signee in in Cincinnati history um, as they're making the move to the power five from from George I know you might be pursuing a story on him yeah I think he visited UCF actually ironically shortly after he committed to Cincinnati so I'll be curious to see if they can hang on to him but yeah Manny I'm so glad that you made this spreadsheet because I feel like this is why average player rating is so informative like going back to Auburn for a second what in your spreadsheet it says they're like 28th right now, but their average player ranking is what? One, two, three, eight, four, eight. eight. Should be eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think especially this time of year, the ratings right now are just so skewed towards how many kids you have as opposed to the, the quality of kids you have. And that's why I think we'll see the usual suspects up at the top of the ratings once December actually comes. But um, I just think that, I don't know, this spreadsheet is just so fascinating. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, Grace, uh, not to put you on the spot here, but when you're, during your time, and I know a lot's been made like Clemson versus Ohio State, could you pinpoint, was it, the, would, who'd you say the top two or three teams that Clemson would butt heads with in recruiting? Um, Ohio State, I feel like for sure, especially several years ago, the Jackson Carmen one was a big one. Um, Georgia, I think is a big one. I mean, Clemson's, I think five years ago, Clemson could get on almost anyone they wanted in Georgia. Um, every single one of their national championship quarterbacks is from Georgia. Uh, Kirby is obviously obviously changed that um they actually don't compete with alabama as much as i thought that they would but they they started to a little bit in recent years with justin ross and all that good stuff um north carolina north carolina yeah um uh, when mac first got there i thought that they had some pretty intense head-to-head battles like travis shaw um was a greensboro kid they both wanted 
now I think it's sort of swinging back in, in Clemson's favor. Um, and I know we're going to talk about UNC here in a little bit, but I think that, that Clemson is, is still has a pretty strong presence in North Carolina, but I mean, really the whole Southeast, um, they can go anywhere they want. Um, and then sort of now South Carolina is competing with them more, but it used to be, they could, you know, have a seat at the table automatically for anyone in South Carolina. Yeah. So, okay. North Carolina class rank at number 12, 12 commits. Sounds pretty good. Only one four star. This was the alarming part to yeah. me. Blue yeah. chip ratio, which is your commitments are four or five stars. 2020, 10 of 28. 2021, 13 of 24. 2022, 10 of 20. So that's a two-year stretch, back-to-back, blue chip ratio over 50%. I'm guessing, guys, there's not many programs that haven't won an ad. Okay, Grace, we know this because you're working on that NC State story. Not only yeah. just a national championship, they haven't, won, they haven't won a conference championship in like 40 years. I'm guessing there's not too many programs that haven't won a conference title in the last 10 years that had a blue chip ratio at 50% two years in a row. 2023, down to six of 20. This year, one of 12 so far. Only one of their 12 commits. Um, six of the top 15 players in the state are committed to, to Michigan, Alabama, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Penn State. UNC has three in-state commitments. They're ranked number 25, number 29, and number 33. Grace, how surprising is this to you? That, I think, is the most surprising part. Because, you know, when Mac first got there um, – his staff, him and his staff were in every single high school in North Carolina. They were in every county. Um, and not to say that they, they still aren't, but just the, the amount of in-state um, kids that are just going elsewhere. I mean, we talked about this, Mitch, a couple weeks ago. Like, I don't think they ever even had a shot at Jaden Davis. Like, that was just a complete, like, he was always going to be going to Michigan. Um, and so, and then you look at Caden Jones, he's going to Alabama. And so, I think it's tough because if you're not going to recruit nationally, then you you absolutely have to put a fence around your backyard. And it just seems like for whatever reason, they're having a hard time doing that with this class. I mean, they don't have a single, um, they don't, they have one top 25 kid in the whole, in the whole state. I think that's, that's crazy. And I know we have a lot of time left, but I don't know. I just think that that's really surprising. Yeah. You know what it looks like? It looks like Virginia and Virginia tech in Virginia. And that's not good. Of yes. Late, of late. That, that's, yeah. you know, struggling Grace, in state. How much of this do you think is the Dre Bly factor? I mean, he was obviously big in, at, at helping them on the recruiting trail and, and a big time assistant coach for them the last couple of years. Him leaving, I think, probably has to have something to do with this, right? I think him leaving definitely has something to do with it. And then Phil Longo leaving, I think, is, is part of it, too. Um, so I don't know. I'll be curious to see kind of what the next step is because, as we all know, like momentum is so crucial in recruiting and it feels like it's sort of wavering a little bit for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know Dre didn't have a lot of coaching experience, really none at the collegiate level, but uh, where I am right now in Virginia, he made a living with those guys in the 757 mm-hmm. area. I'm just getting Tony Grimes, you know, a five-star right out of this area that's now at Texas A&M. So I think they also have to be really cognizant of developing these kids as well. Like you, you got a Tony Grimes, you got a Travis Shaw, what what's the next step for those kids to to keep them there? They need a you know I don't sit here and pretend to know their entire roster. I know they got maybe one you know best quarterback in the country in Drake May, potential top two or three pick in the draft. They they're going to be talked a lot about a lot because because of him and that yeah. offense. So yeah. I think they need a big year. I think it would be with with Max age and the retirement rumors. If they don't have a good year on the field, I think that's you know it's it's going to hurt their, well, they've already lost their momentum, but they, they need a bounce back year in, in recruiting. Um, great. Now Grace has been, it's, it's going to be published next week, but Grace is working on a story about NC state and kind of the, the struggles to get over the hump at, at NC state there. You know, we, we talk a lot about, we'd spent a lot of time last week about like, what, what's your assessment of this program? Manny, I'll ask you as kind of an ACC guy, yeah, but haven't covered either team. What's your perce- perception of UNC and NC state. And like, if you're just going to say, okay, put it this way. You're a uh, potential head coach and you could coach either school. Where would you go? It's a great question, Mitch. Um, I would probably say North Carolina because I feel like they've got a higher ceiling than NC State does. Um, I think it's just kind of the quote-unquote cooler school between the two of them because of the basketball in large part, (laughs) right? I mean, you think of 
uh, greatness at North Carolina. You could win a championship in basketball. You could probably win one in football. I don't know what the ceiling is at NC State. I just feel like they keep hitting their heads on it. Uh, they can't get to the 10-win mark. Um, you know, I was there. I covered NC State, believe it or not, when they played in the Gator Bowl against Notre Dame about 20 years ago when Phillip Rivers was their quarterback. And I remember at the time people saying, man, this is it. You know, NC State, they're going to they're going to turn the corner here and they're going to be the one of the premier teams in the ACC. And it just it's never happened for them. Uh, it hasn't really happened in North Carolina either. But I just feel like Mac uh, with what he's got there and, you know, keep if he keeps getting great quarterbacks, look, he just had another guy drafted a couple of years ago. Right. Um, now he's got Drake May. I, I think there's always a potential there for more uh, at North Carolina than NC State. And Grace, what was one of the themes of your story? It's quarterbacks, right? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that too, Manny, because uh, not to totally spoil it, but Mitch and I, we went through these edits, but in talking to former NC State players, I talked to the Bucky twins. Um, and Dave, I think it was Dave Bucky was saying that one of his former coaches said, the thing with UNC and NC State is that when UNC is winning this rivalry, they basically have a 70-30 advantage over NC State. When they're losing it it's still at 50 50 and then his point was if nc state's winning it maybe it's you know 60 40 nc state but he was like they're just always fighting this uphill perception battle and if the best you can do against unc's brand is being 50 50 even if you're beating them or 60 40 even if you're beating them then 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 what do you do at that point so um i thought that was interesting just about how nationally nc state's probably respected maybe more than they are in their own in their own state and a lot of it was the quarterbacks you know he, she talked to mike lennon and he's like totally like, i love i love hearing former players talk like as a fan like mike lennon was talking as a fan he's like we've basically had an nfl quarterback not like 20 years like, yeah 20 years on the roster from you know philip rivers uh to russell wilson he goes myself you know <laughs> to talk about it but in uh even Devin Leary was on Devin the roster Leary. last year. I didn't realize how good Leary was two years ago. Like why the hype was justified. His numbers were incredible. Um, but yeah, it's to me, it's just one of those fascinating programs and, and take a look at Grace's story. It's, it's running Monday just about their inability to get over the hump, whether it's a guy missing a 32 yard field goal to beat Clemson, oh, that um, was Russell Wilson in 2010, uh, they got to go on the road and beat Maryland to play in the ACC championship game. And they lose that game there. So um there's a reason why Urban Dictionary was an NC State shit. Is that the NC name? State <laughs> shit. Yes. Yeah. I did not know this was a thing. I mean, you, but, and I meant to tell you, Mitch, that maybe we should add this in my story. Like, it's not just their football woes. Like, I added that. I said it about World sports. Series. Yes. Like, yeah, the COVID that. thing, College World Series. Yes. The bowl game getting canceled. They got, they did get into the NCAA tournament. I think one year they got snubbed for the, for the baseball regional. I think, this year they got in as a bubble team, right? In the NCAA tournament, I think weren't they in the first four? So it was like finally something went right something for, good, for, yeah. for NC State. So um, yeah, I, I love that we're doing a series on these. Um, Manny's working a little bit with Andy Staples on the Florida one. It's just sort of like different issues at programs. You know, Florida's issues aren't the same as NC State, but programs that maybe should be better or what's gone wrong or kind of unofficial titles like wayward program, like what, what went wrong. We did it. We did them last year and they're, uh, really successful. So that's going to be uh, those will start next week, starting with Grace's. So, with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, so I asked you guys the other day. Grace covered Clemson for, for a while. Uh, Manny's been on the beat for a long time. Any what's, – what's a memorable recruiting story, whether a kid just like a ceremony acting weird or just something – anything coming to mind? I've got one when you guys are done. And, and Manny, we'll start with you. 
Well, I got a couple from Miami. One of them, obviously, is Willie Williams because I, oh, yes. I did the diaries. I'm still him. waiting for that story. Yes, I know. That's the one story that uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've wanted to do forever and just haven't gotten to. But Alex Collins, is, yes. as our producer Mike uh, Zimmerman points out, is definitely the weirdest one in terms of an announcement, uh, being there in person and watching his mom run off with his national letter of intent, not allowing him to sign it. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'd ever, I ever expected that. Seems like something Ari would do, don't you think? Like, yes, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We were all at a at a sports bar. Um, just a running back, right? Yes. Yeah, just a five yeah. star. He was a four star running back, a top one hundred kid, right? Top one hundred kid yeah. out of uh, out of uh, was it South Plantation High School? And uh, this is whew, I don't know, two thousand eleven, two thousand ten, yeah, somewhere around there. And uh, so we're all at a sports bar. It's this big ceremony. And he's going to sign the paper and uh, mom just takes off running. And, and we're like, what's we all just kind of looked at each other like, what's going on here? And uh, so the next hour was really, really interesting. Calling lawyers, trying to find out, can she legally prohibit him from signing a national letter of intent? And what kind of rights does he have? And yeah, it was a wild uh, 24, 48 hours. And Grace, I remember you, you called and you, I think you wrote about that a couple of years ago, didn't you? I, we did. Yeah. Just like crazy, yeah. memorable. I'm trying to find it now. Um, but yes, I remember hitting you up and being like, uh, can you give me some background information on what the <laughs> heck happened here? Yeah, it was uh, definitely the weirdest, uh, I guess, ceremony moment. Uh, but nothing was was odder than Willie Williams. For yeah, me, I was going to say for our younger <laughs> listeners, um, just, you know, hey, it's a podcast. We can go on as long as we want. But give, give us just the, the highlights of Willie Williams. Well, Willie, um, First of all, five star, like I think you might have been the number one or number two player in the country that year. Um, back in 2003 out of Miami Carroll City High School, like Lawrence Taylor to me and, you know, at the high school level, just an absolute terror for quarterbacks. Uh, I remember being at the state championship game with Willie and he broke the opposing quarterback's arm on a sack and he and he just ran back to the sideline and was barking, literally barking like a dog. <laughs> he was so excited that he, he, had, he had broken the kid's arm and knocked him out of the game. Um, he was that kind of vicious. And and so anyway, we did a recruiting diary where he, you know, four visits, um, Auburn, Florida, Florida State, and Miami. And every single visit we detailed, you know, from the moment they got on campus to the moment he left, what they ate, what, you know, the parties that he went to, the girls that were there, like every, every detail. And it, it kind of got a bit, pretty big following uh, for the Miami Herald. It became a real, like a national story because I remember yeah. of some of the stuff yeah. that he was, was talking about. And, um, and so anyway, long story short, Willie signs with Miami and the same day he signs with Miami, all of a sudden, um, he's being arrested because he had set off a fire extinguisher on his visit to Florida the weekend prior um, and had, you know, done a couple things at, at a club with some, some girls that, that he shouldn't have done. And, and so anyway, uh, it, it became a whole ordeal uh, for Willie. He never got his career off the ground at Miami, at Louisville or anywhere else. He went to jail and, um, and now he's out of jail and uh, he's actually training athletes down here in South Florida. So I'm hoping at some point, 20 years later, I get to do the Willie Williams What Happened story. I'll tell you this. I've never gotten more phone calls for a movie deal than I did back then. I literally had Dang. six or seven really? com companies reach out to me wanting to make the movie and wanted me to be involved. And th The whole point was to get Willie involved, and, I, and Willie wouldn't do it, obviously. He, he wanted to play college football at the time. But, yes, there were about six or seven uh, companies that reached out saying they wanted to do a movie. Wow. That's wild. We need to figure out who's going to play Manny in the movie. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, got to get that project for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Grace, anything come to mind? Clemson was pretty drama-free when I covered them just because of Dabo's rules. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> true. I will say, I was thought about this for a while. I was like, do I have any crazy ones? I mean, this was not that wild, but um, do you all remember when Corey Foreman committed to Clemson and then got the giant Clemson or the giant tiger tattoo on his forearm? Mm -hmm. I, I I don't remember the tattoo, but I remember his story. Yeah. Yep. So he committed to Clemson, and then That's, we should do that as a side as a story. Guys who've gotten tattoos and not played for that school. Yeah. Like, who was it? One of the Alabama linebackers from from Auburn. Um, yes. Got you a and tattoo. I talked about this when we yeah. did that story a few years ago, and there were um, who was it? <sighs> I can't remember who it was, but yes, people have tattoos that they then had to cover, and his was his was big. It was on his forearm. I assume he got it covered but he 
committed, then decommitted, and then Clemson kept recruiting him. But at that point, it was it was pretty much over. Speaking of tattoos, I got to throw this story in there. Kirby Freeman, uh, uh, who was a former four-star quarterback, signed with Miami. He was a backup for a couple of years. He got a huge tattoo on his back of the U. And oh, really? Ended up leaving Miami and transferred to Oregon, and he turned it into an O. He literally had it <laughs> changed. To That's amazing. So that was, uh, yeah, I just thought of that now as you were, you were talking about. I think, think Ari has an Arizona <laughs> tattoo somewhere. <laughs> he might. <laughs> Bear down. Yeah. So back right out of, um, back in my earlier days, uh, covered Vanderbilt um, out, of, out of college. Um, well, a couple years after college, I lived in New York, but then moved back to Nashville and, and ran a Vanderbilt sports newspaper. This is kind of like, Internet was around, but it wasn't, you know, Rivals was starting, but there were still like actual newspapers, you know, and it wasn't not everything was online. Um, so we covered covering Vanderbilt in the late 90s. And Woody Woodenhofer was the head coach. Man, he probably remembers Woody um, and former defensive coordinator with the Steelers. And they were after a kid named Jimmy Williams from Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, a highly recruited kid, had offers from Florida. His final five were Florida, Notre Dame, um, Vanderbilt. Northwestern and LSU. Uh, he didn't want to stay home, so it was pretty clear he was going to go out of state. Really, really smart kid. Spoke like multiple languages. Um, commits to Northwestern. So, okay, whatever. I remember the Sunday before signing day, and this is, you know, pre-cell phone, no text. I mean, there's cell phones, but like no texting and all this stuff. I got a call on my little office phone downstairs and said, hey, just some fan or someone I knew is like, call Jimmy Williams. I was like, why? He says, just call him. So I called Jimmy Williams and very religious kid. Super nice, picks up the phone, and he tells, he said, you know what, I've been committed to Northwestern for a few weeks, but I went to bed last night, I prayed, and I got up this morning, and God told me to go to Vanderbilt. So he, I'm just like, okay. That's your headline. Yeah. All right. I was, I was like, okay, could God work on a few more commits? <laughs> it would help the business. Um, so yeah, he, uh, he just said, you know, went in, woke up his parents like in the, like five in the morning and told him, God told him to go to Vanderbilt, and um came as a running back and interesting story about him he was a he was a running back cornerback in in high school played running back his freshman year playing LSU in Nashville he was the best player on the field probably just amazing athlete he got like if concussions were as big of a deal then he probably would not have played the rest of the year he got lit up on an option pitch he caught the ball and threw up on the field immediately and I think he probably played like two weeks later whatever so he didn't play he, or maybe he missed – so he never played running back again. He moved to cornerback and ended up being playing the NFL for 10 years, uh, played for the Seahawks. Tragic story. He just he, – he's a great dude. I used to run into him every once in a while. He uh, – I think it was cancer last year, just out of nowhere, died, oh, died of cancer. Oh, his God. son – his mom and son were real close to the program. In fact, it happened right before Vanderbilt's opener this year, and they, they took his mom and young son, who's about 10, to Hawaii for the whole week when Vanderbilt played in Hawaii. So the kid was around the team. Like if you see any highlights, he's like in the huddle, breaking the team down and in, in, in practices and stuff like that. So um, I'll just always remember that, that uh, Jim, when Jimmy Williams, um, but there's just so many, you know, I, I think uh, one of the guys who covered Ohio state um, who worked with Manny, I mean, worked with Ari and, and Bill Landis for a while, wrote a book on some of like the notable Ohio state commitments. I just think this is such a, and Grace, you did that story about what crazy commitments a couple of weeks ago, like, I mean, a couple of years ago, but the kid jumping out of the uh, helicopter the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously who was it? Can you imagine being his kid, being his parent? Like <laughs> if your kid was to jump out of a helicopter, Mitch, would you, cause he told his dad, I think, but he didn't tell his mom, like, would they tell you or Heather? Uh, both, I guess <laughs> that, that is just, yeah, I, I would not, uh, in addition to being scared of bears, I'm scared of heights too. So, I don't, I, <laughs> <laughs> so now I want to run on to, uh, run into a bear on a bridge. Do you admit? That's, that's <laughs> the ultimate yeah, I was going to say, what if you're like- <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to the pod the other day just because, um, I don't know, I clicked on something and like I said, I don't usually don't listen to her stuff, but I was listening to the stuff about Grace bragging about her. It was kind of embarrassing, Grace, how much you were bragging about your high school basketball career last oh week. God, but then I got to the, the part about the Zodiac, and Heather's looks at me. She's like, what are you listening to? I was like, I'm asking Grace if she knows who, who the Zodiac killer was, if she solved it. And I was like, what is that? I was like, oh, just our recruiting podcast. It's normal, yeah. normal yeah. day. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well. So, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, get working on that. So, um, so yeah, so we need maybe we need to dive into another story on on cr- crazy uh, commitments. So um, I feel like we could do one every year, right? Like, didn't um, 
didn't uh, Tommy Bowden say the same thing about CJ Spiller um, in our story that's coming out later this month where he was like, uh, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian and I oh, know yeah. we pray to the same God. <laughs> yeah. My God's telling me that you're coming <laughs> close in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Also, another funny one that was, uh, Grace, that you talked to Chris Young in your story. Um, a kid in the same era when I was covering Vanderbilt, he was from South Panola High School, which is right now in, in uh, Batesville, Mississippi. Right? It's an Ole Miss pipeline. And he had offers from Alabama, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt. And wasn't it, Grace, something like he didn't oh, want to go yeah. into it, but he committed to Alabama, but there was some sort of rules infraction. Like he couldn't sign with Alabama, right? Was that it? Because some he didn't get into going into details, but there's a rules issue there. Okay, so um, shoot, I can't remember what it was. Something happened, yes. And then he he like committed. He was originally committed to Alabama, yes. We get the story now. And then something happened with Ole Miss, and he was like in the library, and he felt a bunch of peer pressure. And well, he committed at his like at his high school gymnasium, and he was yeah. planning on committing to Vanderbilt. But he was at the all the students were there, and it's like half an hour, 10, right. 15 minutes from Ole Miss. So he panicked and picked Ole Miss. And, and then I remember like- Jeff Jeff Rutledge was the Vanderbilt quarterback coach at the time, and he got back. <laughs> Rutledge is like, I screwed up, coach. I'm sorry. Um, he, I think then, it was like immediate, right? Like he called. Yeah. He called oh, yeah. immediately. He's like, I, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, imagine like you know, it's it's funny because when you see these kids commit in an audience and everyone claps for them, but like it's got to be when you're when you're in state and everyone likes that school and you know where where kids gonna boo everyone's gonna cheer their classmate but that's uh those things are always and who's the um who's the georgia guy who committed with the actual bulldog that was a i forgot oh yes and then there was that and then there was the um kid from ohio who committed to florida but alligators were illegal in ohio so it was like a baby (laughs) what was that baby something crocodile like a came came so they're illegal i'm i'm butchering this but he couldn't acquire an actual alligator um, so we got some distant cousin of the alligator. All right, Manny. Um, so speaking of bears, do you like, <laughs> uh, this is a dumb question. I've never been to Miami. Like, do you just, do you see alligators ever just roaming around? You will. Um, I live way I out won't. west. Oh, that's so scary. <laughs> yes, I won't. <laughs> you, you will. I, I live uh, pretty close to the Everglades because I live way out west uh, in Broward County. And I remember driving back from uh, Tampa and Naples and the West coast of Florida. And you go on I 75 and sometimes you will see the alligators on the side of the road, just getting sun, kind of just hanging out. I swear to God, little sunbathing on on an afternoon. And then they go right back into the water. Now, would they bother a human? Like if like I was running down the road and there's an alligator and he saw me, what would he do? I think if he saw you and he was hungry, he, he'd probably go after you. But if he, most of the time, I, I think they're pretty well fed. They don't ever look like they're starving. So okay. uh, I think you'd probably be okay. But they, they'd probably hiss at you. You'd hear, you'd hear them sort of growl or hiss at you a little bit. Would you rather take on a bear or an alligator? I think an alligator. Because aren't alligators, like, can't you like zigzag? Like they're really fast, you, but they can't. You could. Yeah, you could you could get away from an alligator, but they are fast. I will tell you. I mean, I, I to me, I'm with you. I'm, bears to me are scarier. Having having seen a bear up close uh, last this time last year when I was on vacation. I know. Uh, I was telling Heather, my wife, about that story. I was like, oh, just that's why we're not. That's why we don't vacation outside. That's why I stay in <laughs> hotels. <laughs> um, or, or like Ari just uh, Facetime me from the beach in Turks and Caicos. No bears <laughs> on the beach in Turks and Caicos. <laughs> don't you won't run into any of that stuff yeah but gators for sure you come to florida uh you will see a gator i think gators are I, they might I be mean, right there behind bears one I, a, one yeah bear. because then you have the element of like like i went i hope this doesn't freak you out but i don't think you're gonna do this anyway Mitch, so whatever i went kayaking with my dad in florida over spring break one year and it was in a swamp and we like you know kayaked all over all the gators <laughs> and when we got to where we were going the lady told us she was like be really careful if you decide to swim because um, a couple months ago, a 16-year-old jumped in and jumped on top of a bed of gators mating. And like, oh my God. I'm like, that to me sounds way worse. By the way, you need to bring this story up for Ari. Than a bear. Week. Yeah, I should. Yeah. <laughs> like, then you have the element of, like, I'm like not a good swimmer. Then you have the element of water. I, like, I think gators are way scarier. Yeah, I'm not a good swimmer. I, I, I may, I won't drown. That's like... That's what that's, I'm saying. Like, that's quality can, of my at least swimming. on a, at least on land, like you have your normal oxygen level. Like yeah. you're not, if you're fighting the bear, you're at least not also trying to breathe. Jumping on top of mating alligators. <laughs> I know. On that yeah, note, how about a little trivia? Yeah, well, let's go for it. 
Okay, Grace, you are not part of this trivia question because it comes from your NC State story. So you're, oh, thank goodness. Sorry, I can't you're absolved. lose. Yeah, you're absolved Let's from go. embarrassment. Let's go. <laughs> For one week. <laughs> we start doing this now. Just have the trivia come from my story. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is not a recruiting question. It's a college football question, but Manny, it's, it's okay. right up your alley. Okay, so I'm teasing this from Grace's story. Originally, Grace's story was going to run Thursday, so I could say, oh, it's in today's story, but it's not Monday. So this is just one little thing that that's uh, extracted from the story because we were talking earlier about NC state, how they're always good are usually good. Just can't get over the hump. So I was looking this up. They've had five straight coaches with a winning record, including their current one, which is pretty rare. That's mm-hmm. for, you know, so there are 10 other programs, F uh, power five programs that have had 10 straight. I mean, that have had at least five straight coaches with a winning record. Nine of the 10 have won at least one national championship during this stretch. The other one has won multiple conference championships. So the point being, and NC State hasn't won anything. So the point is NC State, like, what's up? Why can't, they're in this elite group, but there's something missing there. So can you name the 10 programs that have had at least five straight coaches with a winning record? I know Miami's got to be one of them. As bad as they've been the last 20 years with a national championship. Well, you know what? I hope I didn't screw this up. This would be bad if I uh, – <laughs> I did not on my list. <laughs> so did you go back to a certain year? Like, oh, it's just five straight. Just five straight. Okay. Yeah. I would think – I don't even know if I know the answer to this. Would Coker, would Coker qualify? Because he would have a championship. I, I'd have to uh, – So the question – sorry if I didn't make it. Yeah. Just the, the programs – there's 10 programs that have had five straight coach uh, – five straight coaches with winning records. For, for and, right now, you can ignore the national championship part. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Miami would be because as bad as they've been, I, I still think they would have had a winning record. Um, the last five coaches. Um, let's see who else. I'm looking this up. If I hope I didn't screw this up. So. Um, I don't even know if I know these teams. I know this was an amazing stat, but I don't know that I even know these answers. North would North Carolina be on the list? Nope, John. I don't. I don't know the uh, the nose to a lot of them. But John Bunting is um, losing record. Yeah. Okay. So Miami. Uh, no, that's why Mario Cristobal. Right. Five and five seven. And seven. Oh, there you go. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good point. Yeah. Um, okay. So Oklahoma. And by the way, I just want to say I will be much nicer to you than I am to Ari when you get stuff wrong, Manny. Okay. So I won't rip on you like I would. Like if you Ari would be over two already, I'd be to get the gong out and everything like that. So All right. I, I'm gonna guess Penn State. Okay. You did you say Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Penn State. That's wrong. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's wrong. Not- John Blake. Oklahoma's wrong. Wow. John Blake. Oh. Uh, wow. Penn State is correct, and you, I mean obviously you you got to go way back because Paterno was there for so long. So Penn State's one of them. Yes. Michigan. Incorrect. Rich Rod. Okay. Ohio State. Grace, he's not doing so hot. I mean, oh, I, don't I meant, even I meant, know to, that I meant I to text these. Grace that one. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> did I say that out loud? Ohio State is correct. Ohio State is one. Okay, Penn State is one. Uh, we'll start going. Ala- well, Alabama would they be? Yes. Sure. Okay. It was like one game, a couple games over. Ooh, you're okay. heating up. You're heating up, Manny. Um, Get a support o- system there. Would Auburn be one of them? No, they're Brian Harson. That's right. Gosh. Um. Georgia? Yes. How many is that now? Four? Four, yeah. Um, let's keep going. Ole Miss? Nope. Edo. Edo had a losing record. LSU has to have. Yes. Um, Clemson? Clemson is correct. At six? Yep. Um, let's go back, go back. All these teams have won. National championships. All these teams have won multiple national championships so far during the stretch of five straight coaches. Texas? Nope. Charlie Strong. He had a losing record. Wow. I couldn't believe how bad Charlie Strong's record was when I went back. What was it? It's like six, seven games under 500 for three years. Mm. Or maybe worse. Yikes. Yikes. Um, Washington? Nope. Ty Willingham's record was horrendous. Gosh, I'm stumped at six, man. Well, it tells you how hard it is. Yeah. Um, you can throw in Stan- the towel at any point. Stanford, would they be on there? Nope. 
um, Walt Harris did not, and Jim Harbaugh might not even. After really? well, he probably did, but they were. I mean, because they were, he got off to such a slow start. No, Notre Dame. Notre Dame does yes. Notre Dame is of the nine of the ten that have won national championships. They're the only one that has only won one national championship in that stretch, and it was the Blue Holtz. Okay, I keep got to. I have to keep thinking about national championship winning programs too. That's the problem here. I'm like naming other yeah. schools. So you got um, seven of the nine national championship programs, and there's a tenth. Hmm. I've got to be missing somebody from the from the SEC. Oh, Florida State. Nope. Willie oh, Taggart. Right. Willie. Willie Taggart. Willie was bad. There's yeah. another. There's another state school in your state. Florida. Yes. How's that hint? Yeah, that helps. Um, <laughs> who else am I thinking about in the Two, big time? Three, six, eight. Um, there's two, okay. There's there's a um, there there's no more Big Ten. Both of these schools are. This is a big hint. They're both west of the Mississippi. One of them won a national championship, and then one of them did not. Okay. West of the Mississippi, and we said LSU, right? No, you said not LSU. Um, I guess that's technically west of the Mississippi. How many but he already have? said LSU. He's he's got eight. So need two oh, more. And then NC, NC State is one of them as well, but that's not. NC State is. It's an addition to because the question is, you have NC State and there's ten others. Mm-hmm. USC, Oregon, yes, USC, US. yeah, and then and, Oregon. And then Oregon. Oregon okay. is the one that didn't win the national title. Yes, right. they've won three conference titles. So again, the point of this is there's 11 schools that have done this. Nine have won multiple national championships during their string of five straight coaches. Then a 10th or no, eight have won multiple. A ninth won one Notre Dame. Won one. A 10th won three conference championships and then NC State. So Isn't that com- crazy, man? It's a compliment. That is, a, pro- crazy, that is yeah. a crazy stat. It's a compliment to the program that they've been able to string together. Like, basically, it's sort of like why certain programs, like Cincinnati, I'll, I'll throw Cincinnati, you know, as a good program, I always use as an example because they, they, they've they won under multiple coaches. And right. it's like, and that's what I'm sure people talk about Miami, how many different ch- coaches won a national title. It's the programs that have only been good under one coach where you say that's not really a program, that's a coach, where if you can consistently be good, that's, that's again, more frustrating for NC State fans because basically every coach they've had has done a good job. And one coach we didn't mention, Manny, who was there? Lou Holtz was not yeah. part of this. Lou Holtz was in the 70s, had it really going on, and then left after th- had a great record and left after three years uh, be great. for the Jets. It'd be great to know who has the longest streak. Like, yeah, I should I should have written it down. The problem you get is for some of these schools, especially like Penn State, once you get in like the 40s, there's just random dudes because like the war who were only there one year. And like I didn't include interim coaches. So anyone listening, if someone was right. – I, I don't know if there was – like Ohio State, I did not include Luke Fickle's five and six. He was never going to be the – you know. I, I would think once – I'm assuming Mario Cristobal will be over 500 at some point. <laughs> he better. He'll get himself Here's over a question. 500. <laughs> he doesn't need to be over. He needs to be over 500 after year three, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my guess is he would. And then at that point, Miami might have the longest streak. Because if you go back to okay, Howard right Schellenberger. Manny Diaz, many 21 and 15. Mark Richt, 26 and 13. That's, That's two. Al Golden, 32 and 25. Randy Shannon, 28 and 22. Coker sixty and fifteen, Butch Davis fifty one and ten. That's six. Erickson sixty three and nine. Jimmy Johnson fifty two and nine. Howard Schnellenberger forty one and sixteen. So that's Jesus nine straight. Nine. Yeah, Cristobal would make it ten once he gets over five hundred. Lou Saban was the the one that the last one that did not. Go figure. It was a Saban. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't know how to win. <laughs> Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed talking a lot this week because that's over soon. Yes. Ari will be back and Ari, we can be quiet again. That's Ari great. Ari will be back. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we will be back um, full strength next week. And then the week after that, we've got to figure out a plan because we're all going to be in Chicago at our college football summit. be great to see you guys. We're going to try and do a podcast in person there. Um, so I should have Ari – we could have had him – he could have recorded a message like, thanks for joining Stars Matter and just like <laughs> – Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. So, but uh, good show. Enjoy, enjoyed the stories. Uh, Grace, good luck with the move. Glad you're uh, you. um, survived, thrived post Taylor Swift. Um, We're thriving. Maybe one of these days you'll be at the 
a concert, Taylor Swift concert with your girls. So would you take them or would your wife take them? You think? No, I'd take them. Okay. You gotta go. Yeah. I gotta go. Yeah, all I my, God, all my dad friends loved it. They were like the performance part of it was just so entertaining. Yeah. I took great. I showed great some pictures. I took my daughter who's now 21, but when she was probably 13, maybe took her to go so see cute. one direction in concert at uh, Bridgestone arena in Nashville. And the, the great thing was they turned every bathroom in the, whole in the, in the uh, arena except one into a uh, ladies room that's what they basically did in atlanta <laughs> my boyfriend well, hunt was like where's the bathroom and, I was, and then i walked in and it was a full a wall full of urinals and i was like oh, oh. And i think it's been switched a little bit what was the split the male female split there grace the concert you think oh man 80 20 probably and then there were i mean there were a lot of young fans as well but every dad boyfriend husband like they all, they all embraced it and loved it and totally sure. bought in. Yes. What's your favorite? What's your favorite Swift song? We can't let you go without saying that. Oh, the ten minute version of All Too Well for sure. Um, it's just I love sad music. That's like the saddest song I've ever heard in my life. So, right. um, I gotta ask she, my daughters what they like. She played all the hits. You know, like their your daughters would have loved it. Zoe would have loved it. She played all the all the hits. Cool. Good. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to you guys. This was a, another edition of Stars Matter. We'll be back next week. Bye.